Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Theater Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, Be Kind Rewind looks at the film you voted for. For our featured films this week, a disgruntled coach gets a second chance in Next Goal Wins, a beloved franchise gets a prequel in The Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, it's Pilgrim's Gone Wild in the horror film Thanksgiving, and the trolls return for another adventure in Trolls Band Together. Let's get started. We open with a film about a long-suffering soccer team getting a new coach to help with a makeover. This is Next Goal Wins. Soccer, as you like to call it, is like life. Next season, I think we have a real shot. I'm sorry, uh, Thomas, did nobody tell you? You're, you're fired. Good news is, you got two options. Option one, that's where you're currently at. Or, American Samoa. Are you serious? If you're all alone, we haven't scored one goal in the history of our country trying to have a soccer team. Goal! They scored again. Humiliation. Mark my words. Things are going to change. I got us a new coach. In 2001, the American Samoa soccer team set a new world record, although one that no team member was proud of. They lost their World Cup qualification game 31-0. 31-0. Spectators barely ever see a score above 5 in soccer, much less 31. Meanwhile, U.S. soccer coach Thomas Ranjan is facing termination from his coaching position after an epic on-field tantrum. Thomas is played by Academy Award-nominated actor Michael Fassbender. He is assigned one last opportunity, which is to work with the American Samoa team. Not to become title contenders, but to get the team to score one lousy goal during the game. Thomas is clearly on the cusp of a depression and has turned to the bottle to soothe his soul. He is clearly dealing with some emotional situation that isn't revealed until late in the film. When he arrives to the team, they give him a warm welcome, and in return, he gives them attitude and snarkiness. He runs the team through militant drills, showers them with insults, and leaves them on the brink of being worse than when he arrived. If that's even possible. He even quits several times before being coaxed back. The team itself is filled with plenty of likable but not overtly talented athletes, including the Football Federation of American Samoa's chairman's son, Daru, played by Beulah Koal, and transgender player Jaya, played by Kamana. Jaya is instantly at odds with Thomas, whose blatant prejudice is unleashed on Jaya every day. Adding to his pressure, Thomas is informed that if his team doesn't win, they will be removed from the World Cup roster. Forever. Can Thomas turn the team around and learn a few lessons of his own? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see it, and I give this film a see it. You know, sometimes I can't understand when I read reviews for movies. This movie is getting scathing reviews across the board, and I'm not quite sure why. Not every movie has to be of Oscar caliber in order to be good and entertaining, and this was highly entertaining and an emotional feel-good film that I think anyone who goes to watch it will have a good time with. Fassbender is charming in this role, and having just watched him in The Killer last week, seeing the difference between the two roles shows the range he has as an actor. 
Oscar-winning writer and director Taika Waititi does a good job here moving the story along and hitting all the right emotional notes throughout. His performance in the film as a priest, however, was actually highly annoying, and it didn't quite fit in with the tone of the rest of the film, but it was so infrequent that I won't knock the film too much for that. For this one, I say ignore the reviews, and if you're looking for a good fun time at the movies with a fairly lightweight but entertaining story, give this one a shot. Next, The Battle for Power gets an origin story. This is The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. You seem like a good man, Coralina Snow. I have seen what war does to people. Fueled with the terror of becoming prey. See how quickly we become predator? I want my enemies to see a rainbow of destruction engulfing the world. You monsters! All of you! Good luck with that poor little songbird. Where is she? mystery and mysteries have a way of driving people (laughs) set 64 years before the events of the film series the hunger games this film focuses on a young Coriolanus snow played by tom blythe it begins during the first rebellion with the districts and snow's father killed during the fighting 10 years later and he is now an 18 year old on a mission to restore the family's name and social status he is assigned to be a mentor to a tribute during the 10th annual Hunger Games, which is an annual event suffering from low viewership and relevancy. Casca Highbottom, played by Peter Dinklage, instructs the mentors to focus on entertaining the viewers rather than focusing on winning the games. Snow is assigned a contestant named Lucy Gray Baird, played by West Side Story sensation Rachel Zegler. Lucy Gray develops a reputation for herself after singing a song during the reaping and putting a snake down the back of the dress of the mayor's daughter. Snow is determined to soften her image and win her over to the Hunger Games audience. Meanwhile, he approaches head game maker Volumnia Gall with a proposal to earn money through sponsorship from viewers. Gall is viciously portrayed by Oscar winner Viola Davis. But Gall has other plans up her sleeve involving a tank of deadly genetically modified snakes. Can Snow successfully get his tribute out alive? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a shove-it. And I give this film a... See it. I really thought I was going to find this film long, drawn out, and boring. It was quite the opposite. At nearly three hours long, it did not feel its length at all. I found the storyline to move right along and easy to understand, which sometimes during these dystopian movies I watch, they tend to get very convoluted and bogged down, but not here. All of the performances were really good, and there was just enough suspense throughout to keep my attention. Now, last week I said I hoped there weren't too many snakes, because I can't stand snakes. I don't even like worms, because they resemble snakes. Well, much to my dismay, there were tons of snakes in this movie, including one major scene. But aside from that, I really found this movie and its story hooked me throughout. And Viola Davis is fantastic in her role. I hope it does well enough to merit a sequel. If you're interested in Hunger Games, you can't go wrong with this. 
Next, one year after a Black Friday massacre, a small Massachusetts town learns that the Black Friday prices aren't the only things getting slashed in half. This is Thanksgiving. Someone's up for revenge, and they're turning it into a sick holiday game. This is weird. We're all tagged, and our names are at the table. But why us? looking over my shoulder. We need to stop him. Director Eli Roth brings this film to its feature-length fruition after first teasing us with a mock trailer in 2007's Grindhouse. The film opens on Thanksgiving night, where big-box store owner Thomas Wright, played by Rick Hoffman, is opening his store early on Thanksgiving night, leading to a frenzy of people waiting to secure deeply discounted waffle irons. When security is unable to contain the crowd outside, the mob of people break through the doors and create chaos that results in a deadly massacre. Flash forward one year, and Wright's daughter Jessica, played by Nell Verlack, and her group of friends, all of whom were present at the store during the massacre, are suddenly the target of a killer who wears a mask of the first governor of Plymouth, Massachusetts, John Carver. This killer begins terrorizing the community and one by one picking off people who had something to do with the incident the year before. Newly crowned People's Sexiest Man Alive, Patrick Dempsey, plays Sheriff Eric Newland, a local law enforcement official and trusted member of the community who is bound and determined to find the killer before anyone else in town gets chopped to bits. He sets his target on two people in particular, Jessica's former boyfriend Bobby, played by Jalen Thomas Brooks, as well as her current boyfriend Ryan, played by Milo Mannheim. Can Eric and Jessica find the killer in time to save everyone from being carved out? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... See-it! This movie was so much fun. It reminded me so much of the original Scream film in that it was at times very scary while also being quite funny and suspenseful. The film does a good job narrowing down who could possibly be the killer, and I had it narrowed down to about three people. So I'm glad it wasn't obvious to me from the start who the killer was. It does have moments that make judgments on society and their greed, especially when it comes to Black Friday and consumerism. So I enjoyed that part because I tend to like social commentary. The level of gore is quite graphic at times, but it is very effective. I've been looking for a decent scary horror film for a couple months now, and this one satisfied that need for me. The tension in that opening scene with the massacre at the store was so tense and graphic that it was very well done to start the film. And it didn't let up for the remainder of the almost two-hour runtime. If you're looking for a horror film after being disappointed at the selections during Halloween time, this one will be a good one for you to see. I actually hope it spawns a sequel. Finally, when beloved troll Branch is reunited with his brother, an adventure to save the rest of the family is unleashed. This is Trolls Band Together. My brothers walked out on me and never came back. Branch, we're out of sync. We've gone from boys to men, and now there's only one direction for us to go. The back streets. Bring 
Rick. It's time we find the rest of our brothers and get the band back together. Rosa! We're going to have the best family reunion ever. Rosa 2.0. Rosa reunion. Rosa here we grow again. Rosa where they bro? I don't know. We're going to find them. See that button right there? Oh, you mean the button that's taking every fiber of my being not to press? Press it. Oh! In the Trolls' third outing, Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake return as Poppy and Branch. The film opens at the wedding of King Gristle and Bridget, which is quickly interrupted by the arrival of Branch's brother, John Dory, voiced by Eric Andre. It's the first time they've seen each other in 20 years, and John Dory informs Branch that their brother Floyd voiced by Troy Savan, is in danger after being captured. In order to free him, they will need to find their other two brothers, Spruce and Clay, voiced by David Diggs and Scott Miscuddy. Floyd is under the imprisonment of brother-sister pop duo Velvet and Veneer, voiced by Amy Schumer and Andrew Rennells. Due to their lack of vocal prowess, they have locked Floyd in a diamond cage and somehow spritz his talent onto themselves before they perform, in order to prevent being outed as frauds. Branch and John Dory, along with Poppy, begin their journey to find their brothers so they can band together to save one of their own. When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see it. I think I was hesitant with that, but I ended up saying see it. And I give this film a... Mild see it. With the credits rolling after only about an hour and 23 minutes, this film breezes by very quickly. The storyline is rather slight, and there's no doubt how it's going to end, but it was enjoyable enough to me. As I mentioned in the Trailer Talk episode, I was not a fan of this series. I did not enjoy the first film, and I liked the second film a little bit more, although I didn't love it. This one I feel is the most cohesive and engaging of the three. The voice work by all the actors is well done, and the song choices were all enjoyable as well. Using Justin Timberlake's past as a member of a boy band as inside jokes for the adults in the audience was clever, if not overdone at points. But overall, I think this is one that kids can enjoy and adults won't be too bothered by it, because as I said, it breezes by in a relatively short period of time. If you're looking to take your kids to see something while they're on break from school during this holiday week, this is a good one to go to. It's not my favorite animated film of the year, but it does the job it intends to do. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Next Goal Wins is in theaters now and is a see it. The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is in theaters now and is a see it. Thanksgiving is in theaters now and is a see it and it's my pick of the week. And Trolls Band Together is in theaters now and is a mild see it. It's a rare 100% see it week. Now, onto my brief take of some additional movies I've watched this week in my segment called Quick Picks. Netflix's Old Dads is an unfunny, borderline offensive, alleged comedy about three grown men who grapple with the responsibilities of adulthood while still acting like their inner 18-year-old douchebag self. Starring Bill Burr, Bobby Cannavale, and Bokeem Woodbine, this film is about as generic as it comes and features jokes that go right to the line of social acceptability standards. How the usually great Bobby Cannavale got himself roped into this, I'll never understand. This is clearly not for me and is a huge shove-it. 
Paramount Plus's Pet Cemetery Bloodlines is an unscary waste of time that doesn't come close to holding up the quality of Stephen King's work. Starring Jackson White, Natalie Allen Lind, David Duchovny, and Henry Thomas from E.T., remember him? This film uses cheap scares that are not scary and a plotline that is both generic and confusing. Not once was I frightened during this. Don't waste your time. It's a shove it. And now available on Netflix is Rustin, starring Coleman Domingo in an Oscar-worthy performance. It tells the true story of Bayard Rustin, who was one of the original architects of the March on Washington in 1963. It shows how this openly gay man organized one of the most important days in the history of our country and influenced his friend, Martin Luther King Jr., played by Emil Amin. This also features performances by Glenn Turman, Chris Rock, Jeffrey Wright, and Audra McDonald. It's an entertaining look behind the scenes of that important movement and is a see-it. Now it's time for me to tell you some new movies that are available for home viewing. This is now streaming. The terribly boring Fool's Paradise, starring and directed by Charlie Day, is a one-note unfunny comedy. It's one of those films where I couldn't wait for it to end. It is now streaming on Hulu if you are so inclined to waste your time. You can hear my full review on episode 80. The equally boring Kandahar stars Gerard Butler doing his best Liam Neeson impersonation. It is a shockingly uneventful action film that is now streaming on Hulu. To hear my full review, listen to episode 83. The wonderfully entertaining story of the creation of the BlackBerry phone is told in the film BlackBerry. I really enjoyed this film when it was released and was bummed more people didn't get to see it. But now is your chance, as it is streaming on AMC+. To hear my full review, listen to episode 80. Recent kids' fave, Paw Patrol the Mighty Movie, is a fun, fast-paced film that your little ones will love. I even enjoyed it, and I am so not the target demo for this film. It is currently streaming on Paramount+, and to hear my full review, listen to episode 111. The fantastic documentary Black Ice shows the high level of discrimination hockey players have and continue to face in the NHL. It is an eye-opening documentary that had me gripped from beginning to end. It is streaming on Hulu, and to hear my full review, listen to episode 95. And finally, the underrated and highly entertaining Blue Beetle flies into HBO Max. Oh, I'm sorry, Max. Starring Jolo Maraduena as the title hero, this was a fun and often touching film about the importance of family. It's too bad this one wasn't as successful at the box office as it deserved to be. Again, it is streaming on Max, and you can hear my full review on episode 102. Finally, it's time for my segment where I look at films from the past. This is Be Kind, Rewind. Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was a winner of the Best Original Score Oscar, and your choices were E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Mary Poppins, and The Little Mermaid. You voted, and it was a tie between Mary Poppins and The Little Mermaid, so I will break the tie and choose Mary Poppins. Yes, the wondrous and magical ways of Walt Disney's Mary Poppins so completely and so hilariously discombobulate the family with whom she comes to stay in such delightfully amazing ways. Their lives are never again quite the same. And nor will yours be when you've been touched by the magic of this magnificent new motion picture from Walt Disney. 
Mary Poppins. Hell, it's a jolly holiday with Mary. Oh, stupid kind of madness that gets me amadocious. Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious. Premiering August 27, 1964, Mary Poppins is Disney's adaptation of P.L. Travers' novel of the same name. It tells the tale of the Banks children, Jane and Michael, played by Karen Dotrice and Matthew Garber. These two imps have run countless nannies from their 17 Cherry Tree Lane home due to their mischievous behavior. When during an open hiring call for a replacement, the ferocious east winds begin to blow and brings in a flying nanny named Mary Poppins, played by Julie Andrews in her debut film role. Not one to be intimidated by poor behavior, Mary shows she is vain and irritable and also extremely strict and demanding, just the right person to deal with the precocious Banks children. They soon discover that Mary has magical powers that include the ability to slide up banisters, swoop up fireplaces, and even jump into pictures painted on sidewalks. Despite her intolerance of bad behavior and disobedience, the Banks children begin to fall in love with Mary, as well as Mary's friend, Chimney Sweep Bert, played by Dick Van Dyke. They find comfort in Mary's high expectations and feel safe around her and go on many magical adventures. The process of bringing Mary Poppins to screen was a long, arduous one. Walt Disney attempted to get the rights to Travers' book in 1938. However, Travers refused because of her fear that her books would not be properly represented on screen. At the time, Disney had not made any major live-action films, but was known for his animated work. He would spend almost 20 years trying to convince Travers to let him make the film, including going to her home. He finally won her over in 1961 with one condition. She demanded script approval rights. Having earned the green light for filming, Disney hired the Sherman Brothers to compose the music score and songs, which ended up being a treasure trove of songs that are universally beloved over the years, including A Spoonful of Sugar, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and the Oscar-winning Chim Chim Cheree. Travers would end up being a consultant on the production, causing a hurricane every time she would come on set. She always had an issue with something, from the casting of Dick Van Dyke, to the softening of the Poppins character, to the use of any animation at all. She even had a problem with the use of original songs, an objection that Walt Disney overruled. Her experience was so unpleasant for her that she ruled out any further adaptations of her other Mary Poppins novels. The experience of Travers' involvement on the production is dramatized in the 2013 film Saving Mr. Banks, starring Emma Thompson and Tom Hanks as Travers and Disney. When it came time to cast the film, Julie Harris, Angela Lansbury, and Betty Davis were all considered for the title role, and Cary Grant, Lawrence Harvey, and Anthony Newley were considered for the role of Bert. But it was Andrews and Van Dyke who were cast. At the time, Andrews was reeling from the disappointment of being passed over for the lead role in My Fair Lady. Audrey Hepburn secured the role of Eliza Doolittle, which was a role Andrews had received universal praise for, for playing on Broadway. When Disney asked Andrews to play Poppins, she was three months pregnant and almost turned the role down. However, Disney assured her that they would be fine with waiting for her to give birth. When the film premiered on August 27, 1964, P.L. Travers was not offered an invitation to the event. She, however, managed to get one from a Disney executive. At the after-party, she was heard saying quite loudly that the animated sequence had to be removed from the film. 
Disney allegedly responded, Pamela, the ship has sailed, and walked away from her, ending their professional relationship. The film earned $31 million during its initial run and was one of the top films of 1964, remaining in the top 12 for 32 weeks. It earned 13 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture and Best Director for Robert Stevenson. It ended up winning five, including awards for Special Effects, Score, Song, and Best Actress for Andrews. By the way, her award was sort of justice for her, as Audrey Hepburn wasn't even nominated for her performance in My Fair Lady that year. The film has stood the test of time and even spawned a sequel decades later with Emily Blunt taking over the role in 2018 film Mary Poppins Returns. Mary Poppins is available to stream on Disney+. Because I took the two-week break last month in an effort to complete the 52-week movie challenge before the end of the year, I'll be doing a double feature next week. The first Be Kind Rewind is a film adapted from a play, and your choices are Six Degrees of Separation, Dangerous Liaison, and Yentl. And the second Be Kind Rewind topic is a film with my favorite actor. And based on my 50 Years 50 Movies miniseries, the actor who appeared in more titles than anyone else, I'd say my favorite is Julia Roberts. So your choices, and I'll pick ones that I didn't cover in that series, are The Pelican Brief, Notting Hill, and Eat, Pray, Love. Come to my Instagram at theatershoveit to vote for which film I should focus on, and the posts with the most likes will be next week's segment. That's it for this episode of Theater Shove It. Thank you so much for listening this week and every week. I am so grateful. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month, and while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. Don't forget, you can email me at theatershoveit at gmail.com, and follow me on Instagram and letterboxd at theatershoveit, and rate me wherever you get your podcast. Come back next week to hear reviews of Oscar winner Joaquin Phoenix in Ridley Scott's Napoleon, Oscar winner Emerald Fennell's return to the director's chair with Saltburn, and Disney's annual holiday release, Wish. Until then, have a great week, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving to those who celebrate. This episode of Theater Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.